Hey, title of my message this morning is The Gospel. The Gospel. And we're going to see the Gospel laid out for us in the first verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And then we're going to see how we're to respond as people who have, who have been saved by the Gospel. How are we supposed to live with the Gospel uh, saving us? I love the Gospel. I love the Gospel so much that I, got, I, have, I have on my wrist Gospel. I wear this everywhere. I sleep with this on. Everywhere I go, I, I have this on because I, I, I love sharing the gospel. And so one of the things I do when I share the gospel is I, I share what the word means, and then I share what the colors mean on this bracelet. And I try to do it every week. I try to share the gospel at least with one person a week. And, what, and the first thing I say when I share the gospel with people is I define what the word gospel means. You know what gospel means? Original language? It's good news. And it's the good news literally that 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 talks about when it says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you also stand, by which you're also, notice, how, saved. We're saved by the gospel. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel now, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, gospel, right here. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the what? Third day, according to the Scripture. That's it, the gospel. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and then he was resurrected on the third day. And in the way we respond to the gospel, Romans 10, 9, is if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be what? Saved. That's how we respond to the gospel. It's with saving faith. And that's what the gospel is. And so our scripture this morning starts out with the same thing, the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, if you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter 3, 18, where we left off last week. It says, here it is, great capsule uh, summary, summary statement of the gospel, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins, notice, once for all, just like 1 Corinthians 15 says, the just for the unjust, in order that he might, what? Bring us to God. Hadn't been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's the gospel. Let's break it down. First of all, the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins. Notice, once for all. That's important. Because before Christ's death on the cross, there was multiple, multiple, multiple sacrifices for sin. There was daily sacrifices for sin. In the, in the temple uh, area. And then there was also in the Passover, at the Passover time, there were, they would be sacrificing thousands of lambs at the Passover for the sins of the people. But they did that because the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the animal, animal sacrifices, only covered God's people's sins. But when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just cover our sins, he cleansed our sins. 1 John 1, 7 says that, that Christ died, died on the cross, and it says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But notice what it says, in the blood of Jesus, his son, doesn't just cover our sins, what does it do? It cleanses, notice, not some, but what? All our sin. And it was a one-time sacrifice. And that's why Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he said these words, it is finished, paid in full. Christ died for our sins once for all. It took care of everything for us. And so that through his death on the cross, even though our sin is a scarlet, the Bible says, we're white as snow. 
And, and what happened when Jesus died on the cross for his sins, he not only covered our sins, he cleansed us from all our sins so that the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What that's saying is that that cleansing, what it does is it washes all our sin away. And Psalm 103 says that through Jesus' death on the cross, even our, our sin is as far from us as the east is from the west. And the last time I checked, east is pretty far from the west. It's taken our sin. That's the gospel. Once for all. Now, notice the second part there. The gospel is that not only did he die once for all for our sins, but it was the just for the unjust. That's called, uh, theologians call that substitutionary atonement. It's the fact that Jesus Christ was just. That points to the fact of the deity of Christ also. Jesus was fully man, but he was fully God too. He was just. Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things such as we are, but notice, yet without sin. Just. He's the only man that's ever lived and ever will live that had never sinned because he was not only fully man, but he was fully God. And we got to stick with that, church. You, you don't want to budge in the area of the deity of Christ. Because if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, he was just executed like any other execution. But because he was God, he was fully able to be the sacrifice for our sins because the just died for the unjust. Again, and what happened through the just dying for the unjust is that there was an atonement for our sins. There was a, there was a payment because God took our sins for us the just for the unjust. And then what happens then, because the just died for the unjust, when you put a saving faith in Jesus Christ, he takes your sin and he nails it to the cross and then he clothes you with his righteousness. Romans 5.1 says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, notice, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the best deal you'll ever get. You look to Jesus in saving faith, trust him to be your Savior and Lord. He takes your sin and he nails it to the cross and he clothes you with his righteousness and your imputed righteousness. That's what theologians call it. Your imputed Jesus righteousness into your life. That, so that again, even though your sin is a scarlet, you're not white as snow. The just for the unjust. Now, that's the biggest step to being saved, I believe. Because our human nature thinks we're just. Why should God let you go to heaven? What's the typical answer from people out there that don't know Jesus? Because I'm a good person. I'm, I'm better than that, that serial murderer over there. I remember one time I was witnessing to some people in a park in Los Angeles. And I asked them that question, you know, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And it was this guy that was a little rough around the edge. He looked right at me and he goes, well, I haven't stabbed anybody lately. And I'm going, seriously? Yeah. But that's our human nature is we're just. We're fine. We're, if we're just a little bit better than the other, other guy, God grades on the curve and we'll be fine. The Bible says, no way. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. And that's why, and I remember when I was being witnessed to, before I came to Christ, I was the same way in my human nature. 
my sinful bent. I, I remember James Kong, he was from South Korea. His dad came over here to actually be uh, trained at Emmaus Bible College in my hometown, and his dad was a pastor, and he was doing his best as a teenager to, to, to share the gospel with me. And I remember James sharing the gospel with me, and just I just didn't get it. I said, James, what, what are you talking about Jesus dying for me on a cross? And I, I'm fine. I'm a pretty good guy, actually. I wasn't, but I thought I was. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good without that. And it took a process of months of people sharing the gospel with me and also life circumstances and some brokenness on my part to, for me to finally get to the point that James Kong was right. He was, I wasn't fine because I was lost, and I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and the first step to coming to Christ in my life was I had to get to that point where I realized I'm not fine. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from a holy God, and Jesus' death on the cross is my only hope. The only way I'm going to be saved is Jesus dying for me and me trusting his death on the cross to pay for my sins, and that's the gospel, the just for the unjust. And notice, as we accept that and we receive that and we confess Jesus as our Lord. Here, what happens? That brings us to God. That's reconciliation. Again, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. Notice also it talks about the resurrection in there. Go back to verse 18. To bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. Where was he put to death in the flesh? At the cross. And then it says, after that, it says that, he, that being made alive in the spirit. After Jesus died for us, the just for the unjust, put to death in the cross. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. And when did that happen? Easter Sunday. And the, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God resurrected his dead body. And that's why when the ladies came to embalm his dead body, the angel said to those ladies, he is not here. He is risen. Made alive in the Spirit. Wonderful. And the promise we have as believers, followers of Jesus, is Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life, and he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Because we have a resurrected Savior, we have the promise of resurrection for us too. And what does the scripture say? Colossians 1.27. It says, Christ in us. It's the hope of glory. I tell you what, if anybody in this world should have hope, it should be followers of Jesus. Because the best is yet to come. Christ in us is the hope of glory. He was made alive by the Spirit of God after his death, and we will too. Our mortal bodies will eventually become immortal bodies at the, res at the rapture. Our perishable bodies will become imperishable, and Christ in us is the hope of glory. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. And I'd like to just close the book right now and say we're done for the morning. Because now we get to some of the scripture. I'm saying it's some of the most controversial scripture in the New Testament. You ready, Dick? I'll give it my best, church. And this is my interpretation based on a week-long study of this scripture. It says in verse 19, in which, you, which also Jesus went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, 
in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. We'll, we'll tackle this one first. After Jesus died on that cross, what this is saying is Jesus went to preach and make proclamation. Notice the word proclamation to the spirits that were in prison. Who's that? I think they're demons. And specifically, it's a reference to demons that go all the way back to the time of Noah. Now, my interpretation based on studying this this week is these were demons that were a part of bringing the flood and the judgment of flood upon the earth. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. Do you remember the story? It says, the sons of God, which is a term for angels or spirits, the sons of God went and they cohabitated with the daughters of men. And it brought wickedness to the point that God said, we got we 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 to bring judgment to the whole world because of the cohabitation of angels, fallen angels, with women. I don't know how that works, but it happened in Genesis chapter 6. And there's a couple other references uh, about this. Also, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, there it is, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, another reference to Noah, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. See that? I believe that's the reference that's being made here, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to these angels that were in bondage, in judgment still from what they did upon the earth before the flood, and he made proclamation to them. Another reference to this, Jude 1, uh, verses 6 and 7, it says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And so here's what happened. is after these angels left their proper abode, and they cohabitated with women and caused, actually it says in Genesis, caused giants to be upon the earth because of the mutation of this cohabitation between fallen angels and daughters of men. God brought judgment and then put these demons in eternal chains. And when Jesus died on the cross, what he did is he went to this place where these angels, these fallen angels were in eternal chains, and he made proclamation to them. Now be careful with that. He wasn't, the word proclamation there is not evangelizo in the Greek, which is proclaiming, we're trying to get lost saved. The word proclamation there, caruso in the Greek, is this. It's, it's, it's a statement of, of proclamation and not evangelism. It's a statement of victory. Uh, one of my favorite things is when Ken Graves comes to our men's conference from Bangor, Maine. He's this big lumberjack guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's strong. And he gets up on the stage, and he always starts, before he speaks, he starts by leading us as men in a thing called the victory chant. Hail Jesus, you're my king. That's my best Ken Graves imitation right there. And he, he leads us in this victory song of hail Jesus being our king. And it's a, it's a song of victory. And as soon as I read this and studied this this week, I was thinking of Ken Graves. Because that's basically what Jesus did at his death when he went to these demons that are in bondage that try to corrupt the whole world. Jesus went down there and he proclaimed his victory to these demonic spirits and said, 
hey, you tried to kill me and extinguish my flame of, of who I am, and it's just the opposite. Through this death on the cross, I've brought victory. I've disarmed the powers and principalities, and I've given victory to anybody that wants to believe in me from this day forward, because I died on that cross for people's sins, and now I've risen from the grave. Hail Jesus! Proclamation, proclamation, amen? That's what he did when he died on the cross. He went down there and proclaimed victory to those demonic spirits. Didn't try to save them. He was proclaiming victory. And I love that because that's the spirit of Christ. Listen, church, the spirit of Christ is not a spirit of defeat. It's a spirit of victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13, one of our key verses for you turn for Christ. I can do all things, not some things, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Uh, Romans chapter 8 very clearly says, if God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And we need to remember that, especially in these times we're in right now. This time of virus, there is just a spirit of defeat and just confusion and panic and fear and chaos in our culture right now. And if anybody needs to lead during this time, it's Christians. Christians that have the spirit of Christ that say, hey, Jesus is still on the throne. I don't care what this virus is doing. Jesus is still on the throne. God is sovereign. God is in control. He's got this whole thing. He's going to carry us through it, and we're going to have a spirit of victory, not a spirit of defeat. Amen, church? Amen. That's the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is proclaiming victory, and we're to have the spirit of Christ. We're not to be in panic. We're not to be in chaos during this time. We're to be in trust of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to have a spirit of victory that God's going to get us through this, and he will. He, he, he's, he was faithful yesterday. He's faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. God's got this thing. And that's what Jesus was doing. When he died on the cross and he went down to those demons in hell, he was proclaiming, hey, hail Jesus. I, he says, I, I have brought the victory to this world through what you were trying to do to defeat me. I have brought the victory, and the victory is the cross. And we need to remember that too, Christians. The war's been won. There's still going to be some battles. There's still spiritual warfare, but the war has been won because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. The war has been won. He disarmed, according to Colossians, he disarmed the powers and principalities, and he brought victory through what he did on the cross. Amen? Okay, second controversial scripture. You ready? Let's go to this one now. First Peter chapter 3. Here we go. It says this, in corresponding to that, verse 21, Baptism, woo, now saves you? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection, there it is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers, had been subjected to him. Now there's a principle of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study and interpretation of Scripture. And you always have to compare, hermeneutics tells us, you always have to compare Scripture with Scripture. You can't build a theology over one verse. So be careful with this. Now when it says, baptism now saves you, we've got to interpret that with all the other verses throughout the New Testament. 200 times in the New Testament, we're told we're saved by one thing. And what is that one thing? 
Grace through faith. All, over and over again, we're told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Over and over again, we're told that faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that's required for salvation since the cross of Jesus Christ. We're told that all, of, all that's necessary to be saved is to receive Christ and believe in his name. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. So what is this thing? Baptism now saves you. Now, if you go to the King James Version, it says there is an antitype. Our version says uh, corresponding to that. And the King James Version, if you got it, it says there's an antitype that saves you, baptism. And what it's saying with the antitype, antitype is a symbol. That's what the word means. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol, an earthly symbol that points to a, a spiritual reality. And that's what you got to interpret this as. Baptism is an antitype. It's a symbol that points to what's already happened into your heart through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, 3 to 5, says this, that baptism symbolizes a burial to your old life as you go under the water, and then a resurrection to a new life in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is for. And in the New Testament times, first century, the, way, the public proclamation of people's faith wasn't altar calls. It was baptism. And people would publicly declare their faith at their baptism because they were going under the water as a symbol, as an antitype, as a symbol of death to their old life. And then as they came out of the water, it was publicly proclaiming, I have a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. So, church, be careful with this. You can't diminish the importance of baptism either. Jesus made it part of our great commission. He said, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is your public proclamation of your faith in Jesus Christ. Every single believer should be baptized, I believe, as a, as a, as a believer. If you, after you're, you're saved, the next step is to go under the water and say, I'm dead to my old life and I have a resurrected life in Christ. But here's the question. Does that save you? No, it doesn't save you. But it's an important step of your faith because you're doing it out of obedience to Christ who said we're supposed to, as a church, make disciples and baptize. And it's an important step. It's kind of like, I, I see it as a benchmark on our spiritual lives. And it's a, it's, a, it's a high time in our lives where we come out before hundreds of people and we say, hey, I am dead to my old life and I have a new life in Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's what baptism is the antitype. It's a symbol of that. Now, it doesn't save you because it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And baptism is something you do. And whatever you do works-wise will not save you. Only a trusting, saving faith in Jesus Christ will save you. And that's my best shot at those verses. And I think that's what those verses say. Antitype. It's a symbol. It's, a, it's an earthly symbol that points to a spiritual reality, right? And then it goes on in chapter 4, and we're told now how we're, how we're to respond to this gospel that we've been studying. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 
That's great. I was saying after you get saved, after you come to Christ, your works have nothing to do with your salvation, but your works are an evidence of your salvation. You become God's workmanship, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So your life is changed now by the gospel, and the change is this, is you cease from sin. Now, does that mean you don't sin anymore? That you reach this level that you're not going to make mistakes and do wrong things anymore? No, no. That, that ain't going to happen until heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to see him as we are, as he is, and then we too will be like him. Our sin nature will be gone in heaven, but we still have the battle of a sin nature here on earth. What does it mean that we cease from sin? It means we don't live in it anymore. It means that we don't have a lifestyle of sin anymore. It means that when we do make mistakes and we do sin, we do what we talked about last week, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just, forgives us and cleanses us, and then we get on with living for Christ. Difference between saved and unsaved is saved people will still make mistakes, but we repent and we don't stay in the sin. We don't stay in a lifestyle of immorality. We don't stay in a lifestyle of, of debauchery and partying. We don't stay in a lifestyle of lying and stealing and swearing. We don't stay in a lifestyle where we live in like the whole rest of the world. No, we're not conformed to this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you could tell a Christian because a Christian not only is saved by grace, but that grace has changed him. It's changed him. And, you know, and I like what it says there. You no longer live for the lusts. Go back to our scripture. It says... In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, not only do you, you cease from sin, but the time has come in the flesh you no longer live for the lusts of men. But are you, what are you living for? The will of God. And again, that's the spirit of Christ. When he was in that garden of Gethsemane, he didn't want to go to the cross in his flesh. But he prayed, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And there's a transition that happens when you truly receive Christ and you understand the gospel and that grace saves you. You go from living for the lusts of men to living for the will of God. You go from living in, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life to living a life now that says, I don't want to live that way anymore. As we talked about last week, we go from having self on the throne of our hearts to having Jesus on the throne of our hearts. And I remember when it happened to me. I remember it just, it just because of God saved me supernaturally through his grace and I came to Christ, my whole life transitioned. I, and I'm so glad it did because I, I was 17 years old and I was headed for a lifestyle of alcoholism and immorality and all kinds of problems. And the Lord rescued me from that. And all of a sudden my life changed to the point that my passion before coming to Christ, my passion was immorality. My passion was lust. My passion was, I'm gonna, I'm, if, if anybody's going to party, John Hoppy, oh, we're going to party. And then I came to Christ. And the passion changed. I didn't have a passion for partying anymore. I had a passion for Jesus. And I had a passion, instead of going to parties on the weekend, I had a passion for, to go into Dr. Dave's Bible study on Friday night, get her a free dinner, yeah, but also a great Bible study. We go to his house every Friday night and just get in the Word with Dr. Dave, one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever known. And we'd be in the Word together on Friday nights as teenagers. And we'd be going to Young Life, Monday night, campaigners, discipleship, Tuesday night, club. And then we'd all go to Calvary Memorial Bible Church right on Lake Street in Oak Park, Illinois. We'd all sit together and worship God on Sunday mornings as teenagers and hear Bible teaching on Sunday mornings. We loved it. Whole passion changed. 
I remember when that happened, and, and remember, <laughs> remember I had a passion too for Christian music. I went from being, I mean, back in the 70s before I got saved, I was, I was going to all those rock concerts, you know, Ario Speedwagon, Jefferson Starship, Foreigner, and some of you young people say, who in the world is that? Anyway, some of you older people know what I'm talking about. And I was going to those concerts and stuff, and, 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 and then I got saved. And all of a sudden it shifted. And I was going to Keith Green concerts and Randy Stonehill concerts and Larry Norman concerts and Second Chapter of Acts concerts. This, I'm dating myself, this goes back, I know. But I remember going to those concerts and then I remember my, <laughs> I remember my best friend before I got saved called me. He gave me, a, after I came to Christ, he, they kind of gave me a, a pass for a few months and just kind of didn't hang out with me for two, three months because you know, John Hoppy's lost it. He's become one of these Jesus freaks. And so they just left me alone for a couple months. And then they started calling after a couple months, inviting me to the rock concerts, inviting me to the parties and stuff. And I remember one time, Jim Angel, who was my best friend before I came to Christ, he calls me, and he was going to invite me to one of these rock concerts and stuff. And he heard this. And Jim Angel, by the way, wasn't an angel. Okay, he was, he was a major partier. He called me, and Jim Angel calls me, and in. I'm playing a brand new Christian album I just got. It was by Dion. Dion had just become a Christian. And he, the guy that wrote, I think, Runaway Susie, or whatever the name of the song is, he became a Christian, and he had Christian, Christian music now. And I was listening to it. It was great stuff. And I'm listening. I'm cranking it in the background. And Jim Angel's on the phone inviting me to this party and to go party with him and stuff. And all of a sudden, this song comes out, and it's clearly about Jesus. And Jesus being declared through the whole song. And Jim Angel says, what are you listening to? I go, this is Christian music. It's awesome. And he goes, he just said, you have lost your mind. And he hung up on me like that because my whole, whole passion changed. I went from serving the devil and being caught in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful part of life. And now, all of a sudden, because of salvation, what happens is you're all, well, you turn for Christ. And you don't live for the lust of men anymore. You live for the will of God. See that transition? Now, question, does that save you? No, but it's an evidence that you're saved. Because there's a change because of God's grace. You don't live for the lust anymore, you live for the will of God. And that's the evidence of true gospel saving somebody is if any man is in Christ again, the old is gone, the new has come. Amen? And then it goes on also, verse 3 and 4, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of, notice, this is the lifestyle of the lost, having pursued a course of sensuality, that's sexual immorality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, and all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation. Dissipation could also be translated waste, and they malign you. See the picture there? The world is running in this direction. It's running. It's not just walking. It's running into immorality. It's running into sensuality. It's running into dissipation. It's running that way. And when you go the other way, they're not only surprised you're not running with them, but they're going to malign you. And they're going to give you a hard time. Because 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And here's what needs to happen, is we need to keep 
being those alive fish that are, stream, that are swimming upstream against the current of the world, no matter how much persecution we get, we keep going God's way. Even when they're trying to pull us along, we say, no, 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 I don't, I'm not going that way anymore. That was dissipation. That was waste. I'm not living for the world anymore. I'm living for Christ. And no matter how much they malign you, you go God's way. And listen, here's what's going to have to happen sometimes in our relationships. What's going to have to happen is we're going to have to burn some bridges sometimes. And again, we're to be a witness to lost people, we're to love lost people, but sometimes if we're going to keep going God's way, we might have to stop hanging out with people that are trying to pull us the other way. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. And I remember I had to do that too when I came to Christ. I tried to hang out with my party friends for months after I came to Christ. And time after time, they were maligning me. They were trying to pull me in. They were trying to get me to go back in the direction of carousing and debauchery and drunkenness and immorality. And it all kind of reached a crescendo that June when they finally talked me into going to one of these rock concerts. It was called the Milwaukee Fest. And I said, I'm going to go. I'm not going to party with them, but I'll go just to be able to hang out with them and, quote, to be a witness to them. And it was from noon until midnight, there was concerts going all day long at Milwaukee Fest, and that was my last rock concert I ever went to. Because I remember standing in line, and I was the only sober person from noon on, it seemed like, in this whole debauchery of thousands of people. I got three cigarette burns by standing in line, waiting to get into the stadium, and people were so inebriated by noon, they were like, and they burning me with their cigarettes. I think God purposely allowed that to happen so that I would never go in that carousing again. I'm serious. I had blisters on my hands from people that burned me with their cigarettes because they couldn't even walk straight. And I'm going, and at, by the end of the day, I said, I don't belong in this environment anymore. This is done. I'll go to concerts, but they're going to be Christian concerts from now on because this is craziness. And sometimes we've got to get outside the bubble and be living for Christ to see the chaos inside the bubble to realize we don't belong in these environments anymore. There's certain places as Christians and certain associations as Christians that we need to stop and ha- stop hanging out with things that are going to cause us to go back in the current of the world, right? Because, again, bad company can corrupt good morals. Now, does that mean we don't... We don't witness to lost people. Does that mean we don't befriend lost people and try to lead them to Christ? No, because if that was true, we'd all be going to hell here. Think about the people that befriended you and led you to Christ. We're to befriend people and love people into the kingdom, but our closest associations, our people that we spend our most time with in fellowship should be Christians that stimulate us to love and good deeds. And that's why church is so important too. We are to fortify one another through our fellowship and our relationships and our friendships with one another. And we're to be each other's best friends because we're family, church. We are the family of God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we're soldiers together, but we're to he- we got each other's backs, but we're here to edify, encourage, and build each other up and not malign each other for going in the direction, going in, in the direction of God rather than the direction of the world. And the world will do that to us. Now let's go back and let's close up our section here. It says, but they, verse 5, talking about the world, They shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here it is. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according 
to the will of God. Now, a couple references there to the dead. Who are the dead? It's not people that have died already. The dead are the spiritually dead. And it says the gospel is supposed to be preached to the spiritual dead so that they might eventually live for the will of God. And it's interesting because if it says also the dead will be judged. If they stay in a place of being dead spiritually, they're going to be judged one day. When? Where? Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne of judgment. It says in Revelation chapter 20, the dead are going to be brought forth before the great white throne of God's judgment. And they're going to be judged, notice, according to their deeds. Interesting. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be judged according to your deeds. You're going to be judged according to the deed of what Christ did on the cross when he said paid in full. But if you don't receive Christ, according to Revelation chapter 20, you're going to be brought before this great white throne of judgment. And listen to this. It also says in Revelation 20 that books are going to be opened. And all the sin you've ever done as, as a person that's rejected Christ will be brought before the holy judgment seat of God, and you'll be judged according to your deeds and then thrown in a lake of fire. And that's why it's so important that we're people that share the gospel with people that are dead spiritually. We're to preach the gospel to them so that they're, they're not going to face this great white throne of judgment. Now, for believers, we don't face the great white throne of judgment. We face another judgment. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which is the Bema seat. And what we're going to be brought before is the Bema seat is the judgment for rewards. And we're going to be brought, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and there's going to be a revealing fire that's going to burn away all the wood hand stubble, all the temporary worldly things we've done will be burned away, and then only the precious stones of those things that we've done for eternity, those things we've done in our service to Christ, will remain. And then we're going to be rewarded accordingly, the Bema seat is the seat that we're going to face as those that are spiritually alive. But those that are spiritually dead, they're going to face the great white throne of judgment. And that's why this gospel is preached to those who are dead, so they won't have to face the great white throne of judgment, be thrown in the lake of fire, because they're going to be judged according to their deeds with the books being open. So we got an important mission, church. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We're the place that the light of God's kingdom is to be brought into the darkness of this world. We're to be people that are out there in the highways and hedges, people that aren't living for the lusts of men, but for the will of God, people that are proclaiming to a lost world that Jesus Christ has died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring you to God so that you aren't going to face this great white throne of judgment. And my question in closing this morning, when's the last time you shared that with somebody? When's the last time you took a bold stance and said, you need, I need to share this gospel with you, this gospel that saved me, I want to share with you. I encourage you this week, do that. Look for opportunities, even this week, to share the gospel, the good news, because it's good news. And, and when you got good news, you want to share it with people, Right? So let's be those people that are out there in the highways and hedges this week with this good news. The good news that Jesus, God, in the flesh, the just died for us, the unjust, in order that we can be brought to God and eventually be resurrected with eternal resurrected bodies along with him on that day of rapture. 
Let's bring the good news out there too that Christ in any human being, if you open your heart to Jesus Christ, Christ will come in you and then you'll have the hope of glory. Amen? We got the best news in the whole world. Let's be sharing it. Let's pray, church.